We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. McKee gets it in the middle for the win. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Happy Friday. Welcome to a little bit of a Fox Friday. We have episode 86 for you here on Setting the Pace, and I am joined by a very special guest, the one and only Alex Golden. The boys are back. Alex, how you doing? Well, Fachi, you know, it's 9.40 p.m. We're recording this on Thursday night, so it's given me plenty of time to digest that horrific loss in Toronto. I hope you've digested it and gotten it out of your system. I've been in and out of the bathroom trying to remove this Raptors loss. I know we're getting real graphic here, but at the uh, same the point. Crafters. The, exactly, the Crafters. A whole lot of crap so going on. I'm sorry, people. It, it is. I'm sorry, guys. But that's the only way to describe this loss because Alex, we blew a 19-point lead last night. The last three minutes of that game was miserable. Oh, oh, Fachi, oh, Fachi. So <laughs> that game really was just so devastating. And there's a lot of things that I've texted you about. I had a thread on Twitter talking about how I just kind of reevaluated the game. And basically to sum it up, 
the Pacers had to do everything wrong and the Raptors had to do everything right for the outcome to become the way it did. And that's exactly what happened. The Pacers completely flubbed that game. They were atrocious. And the Toronto Raptors were just hitting on all cylinders and made every right play there, Foch. They really did. It actually sounds like a made-up stat, but I saw at one point the Pacers had a 99.1% chance of winning, and they lost. That's that's hard to even make up. That is hard to make up, and I think a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to just poor execution, chemistry with one another. I mean, you, you see Oladipo, he's still trying to get himself back in the groove of things. It's it's been a while since he's played basketball, so you're going to expect Oladipo to struggle. But you know, the 24 second shot clock violation, miscommunications on defense, and this goes back to the last couple of games. I mean, Oladipo has just been kind of out of sync defensively with communication-wise with Sabonis and Turner during pick-and-roll coverage, stuff like that. Uh, a situation happened where Abaka got the wide-open three. It was a miscommunication between Sabonis and Oladipo. Oladipo pointed for Victor to go take Sabonis while he would cover Lowry after he set a fake flare screen. Oladipo did not do that. He flew out at Lowry when he got an open shot, left Abaka wide open. So, you know, I mean, Abaka, like you, you, know, you mentioned, uh, when we talked offline, Fachi, he was unbelievable in that fourth quarter. So just just a horrible, horrible way to close the game out. And you just got to move on from it, unfortunately. I would love to see the last time Abaka had 15 points in the fourth quarter because it's very unfortunate that he came against us. Uh, the Raptors actually had three players score in double figures in just the fourth quarter alone. Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, and Serge Abaka. But, Alex, the final one minute and 41 seconds, the Pacers commit four turnovers, and they miss two shots. I don't know what's worse, only getting off the two shots or the four turnovers. Either way, it was horrible. We really wasted a great performance from the team. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. I mean, those four turnovers were costly. And I will tell you this, Fachi, the the fact that we let Toronto get back in this game so quick was what was devastating. It's like... You have your 24-second shot clock violation. They come down, hit a three. Then then you have a bad pass out of bounds. Then you have a steal where uh, Siakam steals the ball, dunks it. You have a foul on Sabonis where Siakam goes one and two from the free throw line. I mean, they scored all those points in like 30 seconds. I mean, the Pacers didn't even really get good possessions because they couldn't get the ball across the half-court line. And a lot of people probably give that turner uh, turnover to Miles Turner where Brogdon threw the ball to him with a Baca right on him. But personally, I would give that to Brogdon. I mean, he had plenty of time to just continue to get over that line uh, because it doesn't. they don't call it until it hits 15 because there's still tenths of a second on there. So anyway, I mean, he had, he had another second to get across the line. He was almost there. He just panicked. And, you know, the lobby threw to Sabonis. It was just a pass that he put too much air under, gave Toronto's lengthy defense a chance to steal it. And, you know, when the when the Pacers sub Miles Turner back into the game for Doug McDermott, I think he played maybe one or two possessions, and they immediately pulled him out for Aaron Holiday. It didn't make any sense. The fact that he was guarding Abaka and not Siakam was kind of confusing, too, because I feel like Sabonis would have done a better job on Abaka than trying to guard Siakam in that situation where he got the foul call. So, really, I, I know that's a quick summary of what happened, but the turnovers were terrible, and it's probably just equally as bad. It really is. I mean, for Brogdon, who is always, you know, usually saves his best for last, it was it was rough for Brogdon down the stretch. Oh, yeah. And this is a guy who had six assists last night, but six turnovers. Yeah. That's not like Brogdon at all. And I was, you know, 
really preaching on the previous episode that Brogdon had to get off to a faster start, and I felt like he did. He yeah. finished the game 10 of 14, but it was down the stretch that was not Brogdon-like. And when you mentioned turnovers, Pacers had 18 of them. Right. 18, point, uh, 18 turnovers. It's 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 hard to win a game with that many turnovers. It, it's just, like, think about this. The Pacers allowed 27 points off of those turnovers. Yeah. It's, it's the most they've allowed all season over the turnovers. Just so many different uh, things could have gone differently. But, Alex, when we struggled against the Mavs, I said the only way that this Pacers team was going to be able to beat the Raptors is if they pretty much changed their style and did exactly what the Mavs did. And that's unload from the three-point land. And that's what Indiana did last night. They made 19 threes. They shot 49%. 19 of 39, a right. franchise record, Ugh. and lost. Like, well, what more could you have done at that point? Yeah, Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, they were on fire last night. 43 points in that second quarter. You outscored them 43 to 18 led by 15 going into the half, and you lose by one stinking point. That's that's the most infuriating thing about this all. Like, sure, the late game execution was horrific, and the Pacers gave that game away, but you also gave away an unbelievable performance by Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott. Like, the fact that those two guys were as dominant as they were with the second unit, it, it's just mind-boggling. And, you know, we, we try not to overlook the plus-minus on, on the Pacer stat sheets because, you know, plus minus per game is kind of difficult. But this game was very telling. Uh, every single Pacer on the roster had a negative plus minus besides TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott, and Justin Holiday. And there's a reason why. They were absolutely fantastic in last night's game. And if the Pacers are wanting to beat Toronto uh, tomorrow, today, actually tonight, on Friday, it, it's going to have to come from other places because you're not going to get that same performance from a McConnell, from a from a, Mc, a McDermott, or a Holiday. I mean, that was just, like, not who they are usually. It, it wasn't 10 of 16 three-point shooting between Holiday and McDermott. They actually outscored the Raptors themselves 27 to 18. So, I mean, you could not ask Doug McDermott to have that same game again. I mean, even if he gave you half of that, you'd probably be happy with it just because, I mean, 19 points, he was – Four of seven from three-point land. You know, Justin Holiday, just 22. You can't ask those guys to repeat that performance. But when you're talking about the bench, you wasted 55 points from the bench. The Pacers bench outscored Toronto's bench 55 to 22. So there was just so many things going right. We shot 52% from the field and walked out with an L. The Pacers even out-rebounded Toronto. But in the end... You can't play just, you know, 40-plus minutes of good basketball. you got to really play the full 48. And the Pacers played about 45 yeah. minutes last night. And that ended up being the big difference. Also, just one little thing, because I knew it would bite us in the butt eventually. The Pacers' inability to get to the free-throw line uh, really showed last night because they shot eight less free-throws than Toronto in a game where you lose by one, and Sabonis had eight. Of the 16 free throws. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. It's very telling. The Pacers did a bad job of getting to the line. Now, I credit Toronto's defense because they were playing a little bit of zone. They were doing a good job of double-teaming Sabonis. We saw Sabonis only had seven shot attempts last night. So he ended up having more free throw attempts than he did shot attempts. And that's not like Sabonis. I mean, Sabonis is usually getting up there in the 12 to 15 range for field goal attempts per game. But 
you know, he was doing everything he could. That's why he ended up getting 10 assists along with, I believe it was 11 rebounds. Or was that right? It was mm-hmm. 11 rebounds? Yeah, yeah 11 so, rebounds. Right. So those 10 assists, though, that just came off of Toronto making sure that he did not dominate them offensively. And like Sabonis does, he gets the others involved. And we saw that last offensive play for the Pacers. It was supposed to be a pick and roll between Brogdon and Sabonis. And Kyle Lowry left Victor Ladipo to double team, make sure that Sabonis did not get an easy look at the basket. And he left Oladipo wide open, and like the good teammate that he is, Sabonis passes to the open guy. Victor Oladipo has a wide open three, and Fachi, I was like so sure that was going to go in. It just felt like an Oladipo game winner that he always hits, and unfortunately, he just missed it short, got his rebound off the long rebound, and, you know, the play just kind of was broken up there. Lowry probably was on his back for a couple seconds, had a call foul. Brogdon doesn't get a good look at the basket, ends up turning the ball over to end the game. It was just kind of telling we end the game on a turnover. That's just the way those last two minutes went, and it's just kind of how you're going to remember the game probably, unfortunately. It really is, and Oladipo had such a good look at that uh, three-pointer. I, re- I was at the edge of my bed. just walk- I really felt confident <laughs> that was going in. I mean, I was even telling you offline, I got Babe next to me. I'm ranting that I never cared about this 11-game winning streak for the Raptors because I wanted to be the one to beat it. And at the end of the game, I shut down my laptop. I was as quiet as could be. I pulled my blanket up, and I was ready for bed because (laughs) the Raptors, they they put me to bed last night. And and when I woke up, the first thing I thought was, we literally lost last night. I still can't believe it. Uh, just just devastating. But when you're talking about Oladipo then in the corner, I mean, Kyle Lowry even has like his elbows on his back, leaning yeah. on him. Oladipo has nowhere to go. Is that not the time to call timeout yeah, for Nate McMillan? I mean, yeah, he should why not? I mean, I would have even possibly called it after the Abaka uh, three. Give the ball advance. You have 16 seconds. Set a play up instead of letting – Brogdon kind of make the decision. I mean, I get it. You're trying to let your players work through it. You're allowing your players to be trusted because Brogdon and McMillan do have a pretty nice relationship. So long story short, they could have called a timeout in both situations. They elected not to, and that timeout was left without being called, and the Pacers lose the game. So does it change the outcome? Eh, possibly. Does Oladipo going to the free throw line change the outcome if they call the foul on Lowry? Uh, we don't know. I mean, he could have missed one of them. We're not sure about that. There's no guarantees. He could have missed both, really. I mean, there's really no guarantees. But anyway, Fachi, all, all I got to say about this Pacers team is this game, I want to be positive here. You saw a much better team than you saw against Dallas and New York. You saw a team that really had things clicking on all cylinders. The only problem was they didn't close the game out, still trying to get their feet wet. And my only criticism of Victor Oladipo Please stop, you know, leading the team in field goal attempts with limited minutes. I mean, not that I'm hating on him for taking the shots because they're good looks. I mean, I felt like last night he took much better looks than he had in the previous three games. It wasn't feeling like so much as force, and I think him starting helped that. But, you know, if you're leading the team in field goal attempts and you're playing 25 minutes a game, I don't know. It just feels a little forced. It, it it does. It does. I felt like he got better looks yesterday, just as you mentioned. It wasn't quite like the Dallas game where he was like 6 of 17. And he finishes 5 of 14. It's nothing to write home about. No. But he had some looks that could have gotten him to 50% from the field. Uh, he credited that he thinks that his legs are getting 
back underneath him. He's really starting to feel a bit more comfortable, which is something that you definitely want to hear. Look, there was no TJ Warren last night, so you're trying to find a silver lining somewhere in a one-point loss to the Raptors. But having already beat the Raptors once, they would have beaten the Raptors then twice, gone 2-0 and against them. Yes, we did lose both games to the Heat, but one of them's a one-point loss without Brogdon. Oladipo didn't play in either game. So you're still one game up on the Celtics in terms of the series against them. And against the Sixers, you're two and one. So in terms of the elite teams in the East, the Bucks are really the only ones that we have not looked good against. So obviously one of those games against Miami was a disaster. But even TJ Warren gets thrown out in that game. So you're trying to find a silver lining somewhere. If TJ Warren plays in that game, I think the Pacers win. And you got to hope that he comes back because a concussion is something that lingers. And I hope this is not one of those cases. Right. So we'll just kind of have to monitor that. I think that he is listed as questionable right now by the Pacers. I'm sure it'll be a game time decision to see how he feels and looks tomorrow. Uh, Oladipo is questionable as well. I think it will determine on if TJ Warren is back or not. But I do think the Pacers probably want to save Victor for Saturday's game as it is college night with Purdue and Indiana. Uh, basketball teams there i'm pretty sure that's the two they're highlighting i believe gene katie and bob knight are supposed to be at the iu game as well so we'll see what's going on i mean it's just they could possibly be downtown at the pacers game too who knows but any anyway i'm just saying like that's a game you probably want your biggest iu star to be playing in with all the iu fans there so i would expect oladipo not to play and Fachi. The fans that are saying we're better without Oladipo, because there are some people still saying that, which I'm not sure why they're saying that, but those people are going to be raving and rolling tomorrow if the Pacers don't play Oladipo and they win. They really are. I mean, they are going to be shouting, I told you so. And they're wrong because you can't just keep making these comments. Like, I mean, the guy hits the game winner. I mean, the, the game tying shot to send it overtime against the Bulls. Everybody loves him has a rough game against the Knicks, and then all of a sudden, instantly, everyone goes, we win this game without Oladipo. I mean, it's crazy. Guys, come on, give the guy time. He missed yeah. a year. I mean, if you tore your, if you ruptured your quad tendon and someone tried to put you in an NBA game next year, you'd be like, that's physically impossible. But yeah. Oladipo has put in the time to come back, and we just need to give him more time to get up to game speed because he's getting looks. It's just his touch is a little off right now. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is just being a prisoner of the moment. Like, I will tell you this: like, I'm not, I'm not upset if people want to criticize that Oladipo is forcing too many shots because I agree that he is, and I do think there are some games we probably do win if he does not play because there is a total different chemistry with the other nine to ten guys in the rotation, and they know exactly what their role is. But when you bring in the franchise player of the team back onto the roster and trying to fit him in chemistry-wise, he's trying to learn all these new faces. I mean, the Pacers literally brought in six or seven new guys this offseason. That's a lot for someone to get to know playing with them. They've already been playing 40-plus games when he returns. This is his first game. I mean, this is his October. We saw how bad the Pacers were at the beginning of October. They went 0-3. You know, the Pacers went 1-2 and two for Victor's first three games, so they were both 1-3, and three, though, after their first four. Just give it time. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to dog Oladipo. He, he does, obviously, make this thing a little messy right now because he's still trying to figure himself out. But at the end of the day, this is your franchise player, and if he can become a, 
of who he was last year, I mean, not even two years ago, but last year, come playoff time, you know, you feel a lot better about yourself and how far this Pacers team can advance. You got to be able to walk before you can run, and we're just trying to get Oladipo to the jogging stage, all right? The running part, that'll come towards playoff time. But right now, this is the valuable time where the Pacers have gotten up to a great start on the season where you never want to say, hey, we can afford a couple of losses, but it's better to have them now than it is later on while there's other teams like Philly that are still struggling. Well, so we're going to be just fine. Well, here's the thing, too. 7 through 15 in the Eastern Conference is not getting into the top six, period. Nobody's going to have just a magical run and surpass the Pacers. With that being said... If you if you get the six seed, Fachi, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I know fans are like, well, I want a home court advantage. I understand that. I do too. But at the end of the day, if you get the six seed and you're fully healthy come April, you're playing the third seed, Boston, Toronto, Miami, one of those teams, probably not Philadelphia, but one of those three teams, you know, you got a pretty good chance. And then you don't have to play Milwaukee until round three if you get to round two. So it's not the worst thing if they do end up sixth. It's not, and just as you mentioned, it is pretty much physically impossible to fall to seven. So that is the good thing that you know that, hey, look, it's going to be hard to get that two seed, but if everything goes well, three to six is very much up for grabs. Uh, I'm excited because this Raptors team is one that we could see in the playoffs, and maybe they're peaking at the wrong time. I mean, 12 straight wins for them. It's you never want to say oh you never want to blame someone for a twelve game winning streak but I'd rather have that play happen later on in the year so this is a team that hey it's one one in the season series right now let's try and go up two one and for that what do you think we have to do differently this time yes. around so quick hitter so we can close this segment out because I know it's getting a little little lengthy but um, just to kind of wrap this all up if you got to beat the Raptors you got to do what you did on. Wednesday, I mean, you had the formula. You just didn't finish it. I mean, hit threes when you're open. Uh, if you're Sabonis, you know, continue to make the right plays, even if you're getting double teamed and the, the Raptors are focusing you on uh, defensively. I would like to see Miles Turner maybe play a little bit more than 24 minutes. feel like his defense and rim protection could have been very helpful there at the end of the game. But instead, you know, the Pacers went smaller, had Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott, or Justin Holiday and Aaron Holiday out there to try to match the Raptors size difference. So, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you gotta, you gotta just hope McMillan will give Turner those minutes to do what he does best. And that's protect the rim. Like we saw against the Knicks earlier in the season when he basically won the game recording five or six blocks that game. So I I think honestly, just keep doing what you're doing. Hit the open threes, make the right basketball plays. Don't force anything and reduce those turnovers because we saw the fast break points, Fachi. Raptors had 31. Pacers had a whopping 7, I believe it was. So you get outscored by 24 points in the fast break uh, category. That's a recipe for disaster. It really is. I mean, the Pacers also got dominated in the paint, uh, 56 to 34. Ugh. So, I mean, there, there's a couple things you can switch up here. I think Sabonis needs... Uh, a few more shots. I think Miles Turner needs to play more, and you need to cut down the turnovers. But I would continue to get that three-point volume up because you got to be in it to win it. And in order to do that against the Raptors, a top-five three-point shooting team, you're going to need to unload them. So 
I think the Pacers know that what they need to fix in order to have this outcome be different because it really is just the difference of trimming down maybe two or three turnovers or anything of the sort like that. They played such a great game that it's unfortunate that a two-minute stretch ruined everything. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So, Foch, I know that this is your Friday show, so I don't want to take over. I know that you've got a lot to talk about as far as the trade deadline goes and all the moves that happen and how it affects the Pacers and the Eastern Conference. But before I go, I'm sitting here talking to you. You know, Foch is not all dolled up like he usually is on his Facebook and Instagram post. He's got his just-took-a-shower-probably hair with with that beard he's got his 2000 pacer shirt on but i'm telling you this guy right now with his hair down in front of his face kind of reminds me a little bit of ed sheeran not gonna lie wow if only i had even an eighth of the musical talent as ed sheeran then maybe i'd take that as a compliment but i guess we'll go with a poor man's ed sheeran right (laughs) well as far as looks go yes i mean i've heard you (laughs) sing and i think i've heard dead people sing better than that oh that's that's that says a lot, and uh, if it's worth anything, in about eighth grade, I, I had a solo in the chorus, so okay. uh, I want you to take that, Alex, all right? Okay. So, anyway, we will be wrapping up this segment. Alex, I enjoyed having you on. I'd say we should do this uh, again sometime soon. Yeah, Does that sound we, all right? Maybe we can figure this out, and my condolences to your Washington Wizards. Uh, Isaiah Thomas experiment lasted maybe uh, a little bit over the half the year, and they put out some statements saying how sad they were that he's no longer with the team. It's like if you really valued him that much, you wouldn't have traded him. And this guy. Hey, everybody, this is where I get my Wizards news from. Alex Golden over here, the true Wizards fan. And yeah, that will right. be all that we have today because we have so much on the trade deadline to cover. So that will be coming up next. All right, Pacer Nation, we are back, and I thought we would cover the whirlwind that was the NBA trade deadline. One of the funnest times of the year has concluded today. A ton of players were on the move. Unfortunately, our Indiana Pacers did not make a move. I know all of Pacer Nation was hoping we'd be able to get pretty much anything for TJ Leaf. It it, it really could have been anything. Even something, you know, a future piece, even just getting him off the roster could have cleared a spot for someone else. But hey, we're not here to just uh, abuse, you know, TJ Lee verbally at all. He is a pacer, but we know that we kind of needed to make a move or just tinker something in order to be able to compete with some of the powers in, uh, in the Eastern Conference right now. And some of those teams that did get better were, uh, man, I... I'm going to say the Philadelphia 76ers. I feel like the Sixers made a very underrated move. We knew that the Sixers were struggling from three-point land. They're pretty much just struggling as a team right now, saying they have, quote, stuff going on in the locker room. That could literally mean anything. But the Sixers trade three future second-round picks to the Golden State Warriors, they pick up Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III, a former Pacer. Both Burks and GR3 having career years for the Warriors. Both can stroke the three-point ball, both scoring in double figures. Uh, it just overall, just very low-risk pickups that I think, unfortunately, is going to improve this Philadelphia team. I think it adds a lot of depth 
to what they're doing. The second round picks, it, it really doesn't mean much. A 2020 second round pick, a 2021 second round pick, and a 2022 second round pick, uh, none of which are even theirs to begin with. So great move by Philly. I wish the the Pacers could have had a low risk pickup like that. And the other team in the Eastern Conference that made a splash, the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat, it sounded like they called up pretty much every team except the Pacers trying to make a move, and they end up striking a deal with Memphis. So Miami sent over Justice Winslow, James Johnson, and Dion Waiters, and they're bringing back Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, and former Pacers Solomon Hill. They end up signing Iguodala to a two-year extension, which was kind of surprising, but that second year of the deal is non-guaranteed. So it gives Miami a bit of... um, bit of flexibility here if they want to bring Iguodala back or move him next year. But for short term, Miami just got a whole lot better defensively and added a ton of depth. So right now, this is a Miami team bringing in Iguodala, Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill, all three guys known for defense, all guys who can 3 and D. And in reality, Justice Winslow was the only guy they gave up. But the also alarming part is Justice Winslow had a Pretty solid contract. He was due a great deal of money. So Miami gets that off the books. Jay Crowder is expiring. Solomon Hill's expiring. They get rid of James Johnson and Dion Waiters, who each were signed through next year. Dion Waiters was looking like some dead weight. Everybody knows the incident he had on the plane with uh, the weed gummies. It just seemed like everything that he was doing was just not meshing well with Pat Riley and how they run things over in Miami. So unfortunately, the Miami Heat look like they got a lot better. Uh, So that's scary. Miami and Philly definitely uh, improved their rosters. And some of the other moves around the league, one of the bigger ones was Marcus Morris getting traded to the Clippers. The New York Knicks take back Mo Harkless, a late 2020 first-round pick from the Clippers. Second round pick from Detroit. And the Wizards just, because they were bored, try and get involved. And they get Jerome Robinson, who former first round pick. So for them, I'm sure they're happy with that. For the Knicks, I thought you could have done better dealing Marcus Morris. But also the other guy in the deal going to L.A., the Clippers, that is, Isaiah Thomas. It's expected that Isaiah Thomas is going to be bought out. He will be on the market. Has not recovered since that injury, that hip injury a few years back. I really would have loved to have seen Isaiah Thomas play for a winner in the Clippers, but the Clippers get Marcus Morris. They keep him away from the Lakers. I think that that's a move that the Clippers had to make if you want to be serious about contending, and this year it looks like the Clippers are serious. We saw them trade pretty much every draft pick you know they'll ever have, and they brought in you know Paul George, you brought in Kawhi Leonard, you have one of the deepest benches in the league, and Marcus Morris now adds to that. He's having a career year. Uh, The biggest trade of them all, the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves complete what could only be known as a blockbuster deal. The Timberwolves are bringing in D'Angelo Russell, someone who they have coveted for quite some time. They had to make a ton of moves to be able to get Russell here. Remember, they traded Jeff Teague earlier this year. You recently traded Robert Covington and a few other pieces. So they're bringing in D'Angelo Russell, Jacob Evans, who has just not been able to get playing time for Golden State, and Omari Spellman, pretty solid player, uh, from Villanova. And then, in return, 
Golden State brings in Andrew Wiggins, something that we were not expecting him to really be moved for the next few years. That contract just seemed like it wasn't going anywhere. And then the Warriors acquire only a top three protected 2021 first round pick. The Warriors are stacking assets. I mean, the Warriors are expected to have, I would say, a top three draft pick this year. They currently have the worst record in the NBA. Then you have Minnesota's pick for next year, just top three protected. They traded for three second round picks with Philly earlier today. And then they also traded Willie Cauley-Stein for a second round pick. So just a ton of assets over here. I haven't seen a tank job like this this successful maybe ever. I know when Philly tanked, it took them a few years. Golden State is tanking what feels like overnight. Stephen Clay will be back healthy next year. They could have the first overall pick in the draft and just more assets on the way. I actually like the fit of Wiggins in Golden State. I feel like he's going to play alongside Steph and Clay way better than D'Angelo Russell would have. It's kind of weird that we never got to see Russell play with Andrew Wiggins. I just feel, I mean, I'm sorry, see Russell play with Stephen Clay. I feel like that's something that we always wondered how it would work out. Well, it looks like we're never going to find out. So that was uh, that was the big news of the day. There was also a few other deals. The other day we saw a huge four-team deal go down. Actually, the largest deal since 2000 when Patrick Ewing got shipped out of New York. Uh, and in that deal, the, the big move was essentially Clint Capella going to the Atlanta Hawks, Robert Covington going to the Houston Rockets, uh, Malik Beasley going to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Jordan Bell ended up getting traded to the Rockets, but then he got traded again uh, later today in just a small deal. So just a lot going on. Essentially, um, in that deal, the Denver Nuggets acquired Gerald Green, Keita Bates-Diop, Shabazz Napier, and Noah Vonley, as well as a 2020 first-round pick for giving up Malik Beasley. Timberwolves got Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez, Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt. So, just uh, yeah, Minnesota. I, I think they got and they got the twenty twenty first. That's going to be Brooklyn's first. Um, so, it was interesting. Basically, Minnesota acquired a couple of assets, so they're going to hold on to that twenty twenty first for this year, and they're going to hold on to uh, their own first round pick. But it was the twenty twenty one pick going over to Golden State, which enabled them to complete the D'Angelo Russell deal. So just a lot going on today. I mean, there's so many small deals that aren't even worth discussing. You always know the Atlanta Hawks have no problem taking in some cash if they could take on a contract. That's what they do with Skal Lebissier. Uh So Portland essentially just gets him off the books. Uh, and then also the Sixers, they cleared a roster shot. They traded James Ennis for a second-round pick, so they get a second-round pick back. And one of the weirdest deals on the day, Andre Drummond is headed to Cleveland. I have never seen a team ask for change on a dollar like the Detroit Pistons did for Andre Drummond. They bring in John Henson, who it's been a long time since he was looking promising. Brandon Knight, who they already had, that guy's contract is getting passed around like a TV remote when you can't find anything to watch. And a 2023 second round pick, which 
is so long from now that it's going to completely be forgotten. Whoever is going to be in that, that draft class, that 2023 second-round pick, is probably about 15 years old right about now, so a long time until that pick will develop. Andre Drummond to Cleveland. At the moment, while I'm recording this, Tristan Thompson is still on the Cavaliers. So you have Tristan Thompson, you have Kevin Love, now you're bringing Andre Drummond. This actually makes no sense at all. I imagine that Tristan Thompson is going to be bought out soon. He's expiring this year. Andre Drummond has that big $28 million player option for next year. It seemed like he was not going to opt in. It seemed like his time in Detroit was done. However, when you get traded for pennies on the dollar, you might want to take that option for next year because this is a weak free agent class. While he should stand out, there's a lot of teams that jeopardize their future cap. Atlanta was one of those that you thought would be in the market for a center. It turns out they already got their center at Clint Capella now. So for Andre Drummond, you might want to pick up that player option. I imagine the Cleveland Cavaliers are thinking, you know what, we lose Tristan Thompson. If Andre Drummond opts in for next year, we have our center. If he opts out, we didn't give up anything of any value. So I I think it was a bit of a head-scratcher. Cleveland is not a good team. Why even make a move unless you're going to get off a bad contract? So sort of just a very puzzling move uh, over there. The Houston Rockets, they made a small move, as I mentioned before. They traded Jordan Bell. They brought in Bruno Caboclo. Uh, Yeah. And uh, that just seemed like one of those moves where you're really not going to address your need at center. This team, I believe Robert Covington uh, and P.J. Tucker could take turns being the big over in Houston. They still have Tyson Chandler, but he's very old. It's actually getting impressive that Tyson Chandler is still playing. So one of the smaller moves, Memphis and Minnesota, they worked out a small deal um, where Gorgie Jang is going to the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves take on James Johnson. So it's kind of like attached to that Miami and Grizzlies deal. Just a small deal right over there, swapping contract for contract. Both Dang and uh, James Johnson are under contract next year. One of the other smaller deals, you know the Sacramento Kings always have the phone lines open. They do a deal with the Atlanta Hawks, who are always down. Atlanta Hawks are stockpiling big men right now. They bring back Dwayne Dedman, who was successful for the last two years in Atlanta. He left for what he thought was greener pastures. Instead, he kind of comes back to Atlanta, where I'm sure he's happy to be. The Hawks receive Dedman and a 2020 and 2021 second-round pick. They give up Jabari Parker and Alex Len. Parker has a $6 million player option for next year. Parker, as always, tough to really put your finger on. Plays well offensively. Could not care less about playing defense. So you got Jabari Parker averaging 15 points per game on the season. Those knees are um, they're begging for a little bit of rest. Hit those ACL tears have really been unfortunate for the former number two overall pick. But Jabari Parker still being able to put up 15 points per game. It's nice to see. Alex Len, he's on an expiring deal uh, there are a little bit of uh, rumors that Alex Lund could be bought out by the Kings, but at the same point, hey, you know what? For the Kings, I think it's a good trade to make. Deadman was beyond unhappy 
in Sacramento. So you get an unhappy guy out of there who is also owed about $24 million. And instead, you're only taking back $6 million in future salary. Jabari Parker is a player that I think the Kings will value and I think the Kings will use. So, as I mentioned before, I would have loved to see our Indiana Pacers make any move possible. You know, Pacer Nation was buzzing. They were throwing out rumors from anywhere from Jeremy Lamb being on the move to potentially Miles Turner. We heard the Knicks were calling about Aaron Holiday. Um, obviously, everybody and their mother wanted to get TJ Leaf out of Indiana. It's It would have only saved maybe about $4 million for next year maybe closer to three, but at the same point, just bringing in anyone or having an open roster spot to be able to monitor the buyout market would have been fun to see. Instead, the Pacers hold Pat because, as we mentioned before, the return of Victor Oladipo is their midseason acquisition, and you got to give this team time to just develop. That is exactly what the Pacers front office is going to do. They have been very vocal in the past, saying they are not active at the trade deadline. They don't want to just make a move just to make a move. Last year, we saw the Pacers acquire a future second-round pick to take back some some rough contracts where they just cut the players. Um, and then they signed Wesley Matthews in the buyout market. So that was good. I don't think the Pacers are going to look at the, the buyout market this year, but you never know. So for right now, the Miami Heat and Philadelphia 76ers did get better. The Pacers stood pat, as well as the Milwaukee Bucks, which I thought was very surprising. I, I could not believe that the Bucks did not make a move. You're trying to get out of the East, win a championship, and persuade Giannis that you can be a contender and you don't even bring in anyone. That was puzzling. They even owned the Pacers' first-round pick. They could have dangled that. The Toronto Raptors, they've won 12 straight games, which we're covering on this episode. Unfortunately, after last night's meltdown, the Raptors don't make a move. And neither do the Celtics. I do expect the Celtics to be in the buyout market looking for a center. But for now, it really feels like Miami was the team calling up everybody. They tried to bring in Danilo Gallinari. They couldn't come to an agreement on a contract extension. Pat Riley was working just anything he could. The phone lines were must have been buzzing. He must have just been on everybody's nerves trying to get them to give up as many good players for as little assets as possible. Somehow Miami doesn't give up any of their young talent other than Justice Winslow. But like I said, they got that money off the books. So guys, that was a crazy NBA trade deadline. Wish the Pacers could have been active in it. But at the same point, let's see what we got with this roster. Let's let it unfold. And I'm excited to see what's next. We'll be right back. So get your facts straight. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Alright everybody, I am back and with my Fachi fact of the day, it is DeMontis Sabonis is one of just four players in NBA history to be able to average over 18 points per game, over 12 rebounds per game, and over four assists per game, being 23 years or younger. I know, a very specific stat, but he's joined by Oscar Robertson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Charles Barkley, three Hall of Famers, three guys that really just were amongst the best players of their era. 
Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, obviously, the NBA's all-time leading scorer. Oscar Robertson, the first man to ever average a triple-double. And Charles Barkley, one of the best rebounders during his time and just a very tough player, one that you never wanted to see on the on the court, let alone guard. But the fact that no one's been able to put up this stat line being 23 years or younger is really impressive to me because it's been 30 years since this stat has come up. And you got to tip your hat to Sabonis because obviously the game has changed over the course of the last 30 years. There's a lot more possessions. Maybe rebounding isn't what it used to be. But I thought what makes it interesting is when you factor in guys shooting over 50%, this list actually shrinks. You take out Oscar Robertson, and it's just Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Charles Barkley, and DeMontis Sabonis. So pretty impressive, but hey, we're not going to get carried away. We know this is the definition of one of those Fox Sports Indiana graphics, similar to the one where they had of Thad Young next to you know Michael Jordan and LeBron and Larry Bird and just... A ridiculous stat, but still one that it makes you smile a little bit and you tip your hat to Sabonis because it's a very unique stat category and class to be in with three Hall of Famers. Well, everybody, I appreciate you listening today. Hopefully you strutted into work while listening to Setting the Pace today because it is Friday. The weekend is in sight. And I want to let you guys know that the Pacers, they're going to be back. All right, we're going to be able to respond, and we need your help. Friday night, we're taking on Toronto, and we're looking for revenge. You can find us on Twitter, at SettingThePace3, on Instagram, at PacersTalk. I can be found on Twitter, at underscore F-A-C-C-I, and my co-host, Alex Golden, can be found at AlexGoldenNBA on Twitter. And that is all for today, and if I could leave you with one thought, it is, let's go Pacers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.